Jonathan Flynn, and this is the Interim Leader Podcast, brought to you by Odgers Interim, the UK's largest provider of interim management services. I'm joined this morning by uh, Suzanne Harlow, who is a retail advisor and consultant to the, to the retail industry. In her career today, Suzanne has worked across fashion, apparel, beauty and home. She was an executive director and board member of Debenhams, and more recently was chief executive of fashion retailer Jack Wills under its private equity ownership. Welcome, Suzanne. Hi, morning. Morning. Suzanne, um, I recently wrote an article on the effect of the COVID-19 lockdown on the retail sector and uh, the forced seismic shift that the sector's been through since March. Um, and in that, highlighted four topics um, that retailers will need to address in order to come out of this. Um, and they were around agility, uh, the move to digital, changing consumer behaviours and the future of bricks and mortar and uh, the future of the industry itself. Now, only this morning I've seen some uh, more bad news around um, statistics from the ONS that clothing sales have halved uh, during the lockdown and non-essential sales have plunged by 70%. How do you think um, fashion and non-essential retailers have adapted to being pure play retailers uh, during the lockdown? I think probably it's probably mixed, isn't it, in terms of um, where your business was, particularly in terms of digital and online and your capabilities there, but also your logistics and supply chain setup. Mm. So I think brands adapted quickly in terms of shift to online, closing stores down, and then found that they had challenges in DC. So, you know, we've read a lot about uh, Next, for instance. And consequently, they had to go back and cap the number of orders. And I think there's a, there was a responsibility there in terms of safety of workers, and they had to do that. And similarly, there was a lot of coverage about ASOS and the DCs there. So I think, I think mixed is probably the best answer to that. And it really depended on your, your back of house setup and also how quick you were to embrace and drive your digital channels. Absolutely. I mean, th th there is a thought on um, some retailers that the, the, the old model of retailers build as much product for as many stores to service as many people as you can and then drive footfall for the high street and that, that they are big, slow organisations. Um, which retailers have, in, have impressed, impressed you with their ability to be able to pivot uh, you know, during this time? Well, I think you can't, you can't get away from, if you just talk about non-fashion for a second, I think, you know, if you look at what the supermarkets have done, generally across the piece in terms of responding to not only safety within stores and DCs and supply chain, but also what they've done in terms of improving capacity, or it, I think in some cases, doubling their capacity of online. So I can't, you can't get away from those retailers that were at the front line have really set I think set the precedent for what good looks like. Yeah. And I think probably coming on the back of that, you've had um, garden centers opening and again, DIY centers. So I think they've, they've set a precedent for what good looks like. But then I think if you take retailers that have kept a dialogue going with customers, I think that's been really, really important. And it's not just about, or not been about just selling stuff to your point about just pushing products people. It's been about brand values, it's been about trust, it's about giving something back. And I've seen, you know, seen lots of coverage on people like Gymshark, 
Um, but also, you know, some of the other retailers, some of the pure play retailers, Boohoo, and actually retailers like Primark as well, just in terms of messaging on websites, it's broader, it's about lockdown, a big push around mental health as well, which I think has been important. So I think the retailers that have kept a dialogue going with the customers are probably the ones that have kept their loyalty throughout. And I think customers will remember that when they come through to the other side. I think as well, I think just at some of the pre, you know, the premium end, retailers that have shifted their supply chain to support a health crisis, um, be that Mulberry or Burberry, even people like, you know, smaller brands like Aaron Aromatics, um, making hand sanitizers. And again, I think customers will remember that those brands supported the cause at the time they needed to. No, absolutely. I think that's a very important message. Um, having been a, a chief executive in fashion and non-essential retail, um, and the shock to the system for these businesses moving completely online, which areas do you think would have been most exposed? Which areas of the business? I, I think within the, within the organisation, I did think about that. I think it's I think it's probably shifted over over the duration, let's say, of, of lockdown. So I, and again, pre-lockdown as well. So if you think about where we started around February time, the big issue was: will we get our stock from China? That was generally what people were concerned about. That then moved to closing shops down. So at that point, there's a huge impact on retail and supply chain again. Um, and that's, that's about closing and securing stores. It quickly became an issue then linked to how do we recycle stock out of stores back into DCs to be able to support the growth in online. Yeah. And meanwhile, whilst all that's going on for an awful lot of retailers, they're then having to, manage, this is where the HR function comes in, managing remote working, managing people on furlough potentially, and then finance probably running a multitude of different models, both short term and long term. So I think you can't get away from the fact that the crisis has impacted every single part of the business, yep. probably in, in quite different ways. And I think that's, even as the lockdown starts to ease, that's, it is inevitable that that will continue being disrupted um, through the business because we're certainly not over um, the worst of it yet. Of course. And with lockdown easing, but you still can't enter the, the home of another family member yet, is government opening up non-essential retail too soon uh, with the opening on the 15th of June? Um, I don't think so. I think there's probably been a school of thought that it's been slightly later um, than some retail organisations might have liked. I think, I think what we have done is learnt some of the lessons. So if you take John Lewis, for example, they've said that they have learnt the lessons from what's worked at Waitrose and they can apply that back into, into the John Lewis business. And I think, I think many retailers will have learned the lessons either from opening up in other countries and regions. So Primark's probably a really good example of that. Um, and I think the only sensible thing to do is to open it up and is to open your stores up in a small way, learn the lessons, see where the pinch points are, particularly in a physical location and address it quickly. And I think for consumers, what they're looking for is safety 
first. So they'll be expect, you know, they'll be expecting to see, as I would, visible indications of safety. Um, and I think I think there's been enough time, probably in the last two to three months, to understand and see what's worked in DIY centres, garden centres, etc., to be able to apply some of those principles back in. So I don't think it's too early. I think there's enough time to be to be organised, and there's enough good practice out there to be able to put that into into your own retail chain. Definitely. And you mentioned there about safety being high on consumers' um, agendas. As fashion retailer um, or fashion retail businesses, how can they create a customer experience in what could be seen as a fairly sterile environment where there's perspex glass and safety and social distancing? I think it... I think it probably depends, or I think you have to break it down into the customer journey. So, so safe, if you take safety, safety will be imperative. But I think in terms of where that really comes into its own, that really comes into its own at the point that you're having a conversation with a customer. So usually at checkout. So I think the layout of your store will be important to make sure that you don't have too many people congregating in one place. But I think if that doesn't mean that you can't have visually interesting spaces in stores, there's no excuse not to have fantastic looking windows because customers don't, don't tend to interact with us. But I think it does mean, and I think there'll be a high expectation that at checkout, queues won't you won't be able to have queues so you need to make sure there's enough people and that there are enough safety measures but i think people adjust to things quite quickly but at the end of the day your proposition still got to be great and when people are feeling cautious you're going to need to look really really good to be able to attract people into your stores in the first place so i think it's just about breaking it down into into each of its component parts and you've we, we've mentioned primark a couple of times and you know unfortunately the business hasn't been able to trade uh, since the lockdown because it doesn't have a, an e-commerce proposition and yeah well, I, I, I the cost of sales 650 million pound a week so with that sterile trading environment uh, and people concerned about um, hygiene and safety how can that business return to its its former glory yeah um i am sure that not for the first time i'm sure everybody at primark is going back over do we want to pursue an online channel or not and there's you know there's been much talked about and much written about it but if you if you part that to one side i think the journey that they've been on has been over the last few years has been to really add interest and excitement into their store environments, be that through partnerships, they've you know, had successful partnerships with people like Disney, yeah. um, they've introduced um, food, they've introduced beauty. And I think, I think their biggest challenge actually will be about managing volume because that retail model is set up on driving high volume. But again, they'll have learned some lessons from their international businesses that have reopened. I'm going to put those into practices here. But I think they've got, so I think they'll need to think about volume. They'll need to think about circulation in the store. But actually, I think in terms of large space retailers, I think they've been moving in a really positive direction to add interest, excitement, theatre experience into their stores. 
And I think they've just got to work out how do they keep that going, manage volume. Um, and as I said, I'm sure somebody is looking at um, the financial modeling around an online proposition or otherwise. Absolutely. And with the high streets opening up in a couple of weeks, Suzanne, um, and, and customer behavior having changed and, and you know, more people than ever buying online now, do you think there's going to be, will people just return to browsing the high street or will it be more targeted purchases? Are people just going to get out because they can leave their houses now and, and, and go downtown? Um, oh, certainly, certainly what I have heard from other people to date, and, I th and actually the um, supermarkets have talked about this, the frequency has been less, in terms of footfall has been less, but when people are shopping, and I've heard this online as well, higher basket sizes. So I th and Tesco have talked about the move from um, frequency to one big shop. So I, I think if you think about how that would manifest itself in fashion retail, I think there'll be much more targeted shopping. And I think it will probably shift potentially more to needs than wants mm -hmm. in the short term. But equally, I think there's, I mean, there's quite a few dynamics here, isn't there? People have been locked up and have only been able to shop online. So getting out and being in a physical store environment is interesting and people just want the experience of going, going out. And we've seen that in Australia when um, some of the shopping malls opened. But I still think we're at the, I think we're at the end of the season. So timing is everything. Most retailers are discounting fairly heavily already. And there has been talk about the mother of all sales to clear the stock that retailers have sat on. So I think you've got that dynamic as well. But I think, so I think there'll be, there will of course be some return to the high street, but I think it would probably be naive to think we'll get back to where we were in the short term. I think people are just cautious from a health perspective, but also I think they'll be just cautious financially. There's such a lot of bad news economically out there. So I think people will just be considered about what they buy, but people still probably want to treat. Yeah, absolutely. And talk about the, the change in, in customer behaviours. People have been looking for quality that they've, they've previously got in, in retail or, or restaurants um, at home. So from um, you know, fitness perspective, people have been going out buying bikes, gym equipment, weights, um, and, and sportswear. And people have been looking for restaurant quality at home. And we've seen you know, businesses like Gusto, HelloFresh, and Mindful Chef do, do exceptionally well. Now, those last three businesses, they work on a subscription model. Do you think that's something that could work for the wider retail community? In terms of fashion, I'm not sure is, the, is probably the answer to that. I th if you think about what's happened with the, the restaurants, stroke, the food businesses that you've talked about, they have they've been very clear in terms of targeting a customer and they have filled a purpose. So for busy people, getting restaurant quality food and ingredients in packaged in the right quantity has, has actually been a godsend. And I also think whilst everybody's been at home and you're feeding you know, yourself and a family, I think that's probably really come into it. So I think buying fashion is, is a different, it's a different mentality. And I think, people do want to touch and feel product 
and I think they want to choose it. And I think if people are becoming a bit more considered about what they buy and, and probably how much they buy, I think that purchase probably, customers probably want to be much more involved in it as opposed to having something arrive that they've not been involved in the choice of it. So I'm, I'm, not, I'm not sure is the answer. I mean, it's been fantastically successful in categories like beauty as well. Um, been lots of startups that have grown quite quickly. And in food, I mean, just been fantastic. I'm not sure how easily it translates into fashion. And th this pandemic has created a, a tipping point for the high street and retail businesses where they must change now in order to, 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 to meet customer habits. Many have argued that this has been coming for a while. Um, what do you see as the biggest opportunity for retailers going forward? What, what good news can we can we <laughs> can we come up with? Yeah. Um, I I think actually what's probably let's let's put two three months of not being in the office. So you obviously go through um, a, an emergency crisis period, but I think I think what's happening now in most retailers and probably lots of other organisations is that time for a pause. And time to just think about what does the future look like. So strategy, proposition, be that your product mix, be it your routes to market. So I think it's, it's actually quite an interesting time to have a reset. Yep. I think the other thing is inevitably with redundancies in the sector, I think there's a time to think about the talent that you have today and whether you've got the right talent going forward because I think it's you know with the growth in digital those that resource those resources will be in short supply um, but also I think it gives you the chance to think about if you think about the proposition as well what you've got to ask yourself what we're going to stop doing because I think the I think in retail there's always a tendency to try and do more 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 things uh, potentially with less people and I think it's going to need to be a bit more focused because you will need to invest can't not invest for the future and I think we'll find in five, seven years' time, the people that are work, you know, are performing well are those that did take the opportunity to invest now. So I do think that talent, culture, people piece is really important. Yeah. But just thinking about proposition, what can we stop doing and really get focused? Yeah, absolutely. And I saw an interview with uh, Theo Pafitas uh, recently that he said customer behaviour has, has changed um, yeah. and that retail will never, ever be the same again that footfall will fall. So we're going to have to look at business rates. We're going to have to look at um, taxes in the sector. Um, and with footfall you know, falling, and it's, it's going to inevitably mean a, a change for the high streets uh, yeah. you know, going forward. Can you see more um, some of these uh, empty sites becoming social, leisure, affordable housing in a more condensed area to drive more footfall and hopefully with the rise of online retail, you know, boost the, uh, the, the high street proposition? Yeah, I mean, it's inevitably going to change. The, there's, there is, if you take retail in its entirety, the, the certainty is there will be less retail stores going forward. And, you know, you can see it every day in the news flow and um, stores closing down or redundancies, etc. So that is that is an inevitability. Hence um, your comments about Thea. And um, so I think how, housing and leisure. Yes, but I think leisure needs to will need to change and evolve in the short term as well. So if you take if you take things like gyms, 
I think a couple of months of people being at home, people have adapted to what does leisure and health look like in my home, be that the growth in people cycling or walking or running or exercising from home. And again, just from a safety perspective, people will still have that concern. But I do, I do think repurposing high streets is, is inevitable. What I think also is, is interesting, it does give smaller, innovative brands or propositions potentially the chance to launch in a smaller way because landlords will want to fill the space. It's of no help to anybody having empty units. And if I just think about what's happened locally, and you know, lots of people have talked about this, I think that you know, restaurants, smaller and large scale, have adapted unbelievably well and have reinvented themselves. And I think that has made local become much more interesting. And that's really just looking at F&B. So I think if you think about what that could look like across different categories, you might find that over time it re-energizes high streets. Absolutely. And I think, I think as well, short term, people are more likely to feel comfortable in open spaces, high streets, as opposed to shopping centers. And so I think it will be, I think you'll find it different across each of those, you know, is out of town more interesting than shopping centers? Possibly, yeah. Possibly, yeah. yeah. And so I think it will change and evolve as consumers change and evolve. Absolutely. I, I, I couldn't agree more. And it's, it, it's nice that in this period of transition that we've seen some really positive trends um, come yeah. out of the retail sector. Like you, you, you've mentioned, Manny, the subscription models, some direct-to-consumer businesses doing exceptionally yeah. well. We mentioned Gymshark earlier. I mean, it's only a seven-year-old business turning over $250 million. And on the back of that, they've been exceptional in terms of their social uh, commerce, yeah. their kindness and well-being messages. Um, with their hashtag, what was it, NHS sweaty selfie, ending up um, yeah. donating £180,000 to the NHS. So yeah. we've seen some really positive things come out of the sector, but there's obviously lots to do as we you know, pivot and move forward to this truly omni-channel omni retail. <laughs> well, Suzanne, it's been you know, fascinating and really enjoyable to get your uh, thoughts and comments this morning. I really appreciate your time and uh, you know, thank you for talking to us. Thank you. Good to talk to you as well. Thank you to everyone who has joined us for this episode of The Interim Leader. If you've enjoyed the podcast, please like, subscribe and follow for more insights from our network of consultants, clients and interim managers. Mm -hmm.